Hey there, doing the first mobile episode, the first true mobile episode and I think a little while. I think it's been a while since I've taken a walk, done a little walk and talk, done some mobile episodes in the kitchen, which are mobile. Along with using a mobile device, I, I pace around the kitchen if I'm recording into my phone. I pace a lot, you know, I, I'm one of those people too, when I talk on the phone, I don't ever stop pacing. I don't just sit there and talk. It's very rare that I sit or I stand in one place because it gets your mind moving. You know, your mind moves very differently when you move. And I think you think clearer and you think more creatively. So I recommend if you, if you ever have trouble thinking, I don't know. I don't know if anybody has trouble thinking, but uh, if you do, I recommend moving while you do it. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to get out of my uh, zone, and by that I just mean like going a mile away from my house, because I've been walking the same places, I've been going to the same places so consistently, over the last year for sure, but even more recently I feel like I've been even closer to home when it comes to like going out for walks, taking Batty out, so I've made it an effort lately to take Batty to a couple places, change up his routes, because I'm just having severe dominance problems with him and they developed over time and I feel like it's, it's definitely my issue because when he moved in with me he was perfectly well behaved he, he totally obeyed my commands and you know I don't think there'd been significant issues at his previous house and he's still you know a very good boy and everything but two things one that he, he's been marking a certain spot in the house with piss on the carpet and he didn't do it for a while, and then the other day I pulled an all-nighter, a hundred. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not even kidding. Like I didn't just stay up very late. I stayed up, I don't know, probably 36 hours straight. And then I ended up overcompensating, you know, sleeping for a huge amount of time, well into the afternoon, the latest I've slept ever. I don't know that I've ever slept that late that I can think of, except maybe not counting like severe hangovers in the past. But uh, sure enough, like he hadn't done it. He hadn't gone to the bathroom on the carpet in weeks. And the night that I slept all, you know, or, you know, 13, I don't know. I don't know how many hours I slept. It was a long time. Uh, sure enough, I woke up and there were markings on the carpet. And so there's that and that coincides. I don't think it's a health issue. I had him taken in last month. I know this isn't that interesting, but, uh, I had him taken in in January, and you know we got him on some medication and stuff to check some bathroom issues out. But I don't think it's a medical issue. I think it's actually a dominance issue or something, maybe a response to my stress. You know, because when you are undergoing a reckoning, your animal does too, especially a dog, especially a Chihuahua, given how sensitive they are. But uh, with him, it's you know, yeah, there's this been this urinating, this pissing issue. And then on walks, he's become incredibly defiant, where he used to be good, you know, he, with his previous owner, he was always really good on walks. When he first moved in with me, he was good on walks. But there's just a couple different signs that, you know, my, uh, my leadership, my dominance isn't being fully respected, and that's important. So I've been doing what I can do, keeping, holding him behind me when I walk so that he knows that I come first entering doorways before he does. These are all real things they tell you to do. As well as, you know, he's, he's never been bad about begging for food. Like, I always give him meat. If I eat meat, I give him a little bit. And he's always been very good about that. He doesn't whine. He doesn't really beg. 
but now I'm making an effort to make him wait for it. So there's little things you got to do, and it's difficult because I don't think of him as a dog entirely, as many people don't. And I should have known because, you know, I read Caesar Milan's book when I got him. And, you know, I'm not above taking advice from that guy. You know, that guy, he's... It's very easy to kind of roll your eyes. He's, he's a celebrity dog whisperer. But the guy knows what he's talking about for sure. And it's, it's just what I always say where it's like, you got to be open to learning something from any and every source. And then after that, I read a book about these monks, this monastery who raised German shepherds. Although that was a little less relatable. But the Caesar Milan one, you know, he's he harps on the dominance thing. And when I was reading that, the funny thing about reading that is, this is probably last April, it was right around the time Batty moved in, is I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, that's that's a good point, but it's a good thing I don't have to worry about that. I was like, it's a good thing I don't have to worry about any, any of this stuff he's talking about. It's a good thing Batty's already totally trained and obeys all my rules, and then, you know, you, you move forward six months, eight months, and guess what? You know, there, there's a dominance dispute i wouldn't call it a dispute but there's there's definitely a dominance issue going on that i'm having to figure out but i'm doing what i can and uh you know with that though you know you know i don't want to go too overboard you know i, I don't want to be an absolute tyrant but i think that i think that i can effectively communicate what I need to communicate. It's like five cars coming from all directions here. Uh, you know, I think I can communicate what I need to communicate if I just stick with it, because so much of it is just consistency. Just It's what discipline is. You know, it's just being consistent. And, uh, you know, with Batman in particular, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to take the... Uh, I'm never going to take the man out of him, that's for sure. Even though they took his balls... I'm never going to take the man out of him. But anyway, that's enough about that. That's just, you know, I'm trying to take him to some new places. Because it turns out he's he's much more subservient on walks if we go to different places than we usually go to. But anyway, what I was thinking about right now is uh, a couple years ago, a friend of mine, really sweet woman, she really one of my sweetest friends, she let me know that Cards Against Humanity was hiring and uh, she said, uh, oh, just letting you know, I've, I found this ad. Cards Against Humanity is hiring a writer. And she's like, you know, you out of, out of all my friends, you have the darkest sense of humor, so you should apply. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was really cute. You know, because for one, like, just the idea that I have the darkest sense of humor out of everyone she knows. I was like, you know, she hasn't even heard the half of the things I say. Like she hasn't, she doesn't even know the half of the things that I think or say. <laughs> like this is a friend who's probably only seen me at my best. And the, so the fact that I still came to mind as having like the darkest sense of humor out of all her friends, I was like, God, I'm glad, I'm glad she doesn't know the full extent, especially, of, especially me in the past. Cause in the past I was even more, you know, unrestrained with that kind of thing. But I thought it was really sweet. It was it was really sweet to me that she thought of me. But the funny thing is, is I've never played Cards Against Humanity. There's a deer walking in front of me. Wonder if, I wonder if that deer has played Cards Against Humanity. But um, I've never played Cards Against Humanity, partly out of protest. 
you know, I've seen people play it. I've been in a room where people are playing it. I know what it is because, you know, I played apples to apples a bunch of times back in the day. You know, back in like the the early mid two thousands, it seemed like every party you went to, every Thanksgiving you went to, somebody's like, "I brought apples to apples," you know. And uh, so I played that a lot, and that was fun. You know, I had a lot of fun playing that with people. Because I mean, it's those games. It's they're all about juxtaposition, obviously. It's like you can either choose to play it in a way that makes things. You know, you, you can make sense with it, where you can, like, pair things up that make sense, where you go, oh, yeah. Or you can, like, play the absurdity game. I mean, it's, it's like Mad Libs, it's like Ad Libs, where you can, like, turn it into total nonsense. You can make it make sense. Or you can also come up with things that are offensive. Like, playing apples to apples, like, you can come up with, like, beautiful Hitler. And everybody goes, oh, my God, you know, they laugh. It's like you, you found some kind of like absurdly offensive combination. But with a game like that, you have to try. You know, I remember with Apples to Apples, it's like even though there's plenty of opportunity to do that, you have to try to juxtapose like beautiful Hitler, you know, something like that. Whereas like a game like Cards Against Humanity, it seems like it's just it's way too direct. And it obviously was influenced by that. Like, it, whoever came up with that idea obviously thought, oh, hey, you can create these uh, these absurd, you know, offensive jokes through apples to apples. Let's make an entire game of that. But it, it, to me, that kind of loses its fun. That kind of thing is fun when you have to kind of fight for it, when you have to, when, when you just suddenly have an opportunity to do it. And just one last thought on one last thought on apples to apples. The weird thing about playing that game with people is it really depended on like you really got an understanding of people's senses of humor. Like I played that at one point with my girlfriend at the time with her family, with her parents. And they were a family where like all all of them have the same exact sense of humor. That wasn't the same as mine. And so like their sense of humor was very literal. Like, they would come up with combinations that were, like, a very literal combination that makes sense and is also funny to them. Whereas, like, I would come up with ones that, like, made sense, but in an absurd or, you know, just sort of unhinged way. And it, it was a good example of what I always talk about, about, like, people... There's a difference between people not finding something funny and people not getting that you're even trying to be funny... And I love her family. Like, even to this day, I haven't been with this girl in a decade, but... Like, I love her family to this day. They're great people. But it was definitely an example of, like, where I would come up with a combination of things, and they didn't even know I was trying to be funny. They would just be like, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? What do you mean, beautiful Hitler? You know, it's it, it, you know, it was like that sort of thing, where it's like, they didn't even understand that I was trying to, like, juxtapose two absurd things together that makes sense but in kind of a yeah an unhinged way i don't know whatever it was I, I wouldn't i would not be able to remember what i sorry i don't remember what apples to apples uh <laughs> cards i chose 15 years ago but it was one of those things where it was just like you i was very acutely aware of the fact that oh her entire family has the exact same sense of humor and they they're like they're loving it because like they're all they're all like choosing the exact cards that make each other laugh 
or that they like. Because it's that game where you have to choose which pair of cards wins. And you can use any kind of rationale for it. Like, I like those games because they're open-ended. Like, you can, you can decide whether to choose the thing that's most literal. You can decide to choose the thing that's the most ridiculous. You can decide to choose the thing that's most offensive. Both, like, both as the person putting the cards down and pairing them up, as well as the judge deciding which cards win the round. So it's, it's a cool game in that way. I just love apples to apples, you know? I'm, I'm, they, call me, they call me apples to apples. But, but, you know, it was just that thing where you have to play to your audience if you actually want to win that game. And I don't do that. I mean, that's the story of my life is I, I never play to my audience. Because I don't even think of myself as having an audience, for one. So it's like I never try to cater to an audience. I mean, and it kind of plays into what I've talked about before. About, like, I know the exact formula I could follow to be cool. Especially as an artist. Like, I, I, could, I, I know the exact formula I could follow to, like, be like, oh, I'm a... I'm a stoic, dark artist. I express myself in minimal, vague terms. You know, I know, I know exactly how to do that. I just don't do it. I don't play to any audience. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it turns out I, I do the same thing in Apples to Apples. I don't play to any audience in Apples to Apples. But, you know, you have to do that if you do want to win or if you even want to entertain the people you're with. And I mean, I have a family where we don't have the same sense of humor necessarily. Like my mom and I did, to some extent, you know, not, not totally. But it's like my mom generally knew if I was joking and she could appreciate the, that fact and vice versa. But it's like I have other family members and I, I love them to death, but they don't have the same sense of humor and they don't always know that I'm even kidding. So, like, playing with my family, it wasn't the same as playing with my girlfriend's family at the time, where her whole family had that family sense of humor. Whereas, like, my family, like, when I played with them, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't all have the same sense of humor, so, like, just good luck. <laughs> you know, good luck trying to play to any audience. But the whole point I bring this up is because, you know, Cards Against Humanity was like, let's take, like the rare offensive combination from apples to apples and make an entire game based on that. And to me, that's too much. That's too much. It's like what makes the offensive combinations funny, funny and fun in a game like apples to apples is that like you have to work for it a little bit. Whereas like a game like cards against humanity, from what I can gather, it's all just there for you. It's in the cards, literally like they, they want you to come up with those things. And that makes it less funny. You know, that makes it less funny. It's, it's not even really... Uh, there's no contrast. Again, it's a, it's a, everything I talk about is about contrast. Good stories. You know, good... Um, just everything is a, is a... You know, just even good composition. Even good music. Good visual artwork. You use contrast to your advantage. When you tell a story, it's a story of contrast, where events have to create contrast in the story. Turns out it's the same thing with apples to apples, where what makes the offensive combinations funny is that they contrast with everything else. Like, the aesthetic of the game is, like, cartoony, colorful, you know, and while you have the option of, of creating offensive examples, offensive pairs, it's not a given. Whereas like a game like Cards Against Humanity, it's dark. The game is black with white text. You know, it's very they, they make it very stark 
and grim and it's just it's not as funny to me because there's no contrast it's like it's almost like the inverse where you probably have to like work to make a pleasant inoffensive combination if you even can i don't know i've never played it see i know so i'm talking all about cards against humanity but i've never actually played it but like when that friend told me when she told me like oh cards against humanity is hiring for a writer you should apply because you're like you know basically the most offensive friend i have and as i was saying that's kind of amazing considering like this friend has not seen me at my worst um, but that's uh, sort of a version of what I was talking about in an episode a couple days ago of like when people have told me like, oh, your artwork reminds me of Jack Skellington. Your artwork reminds me of Tim Burton, Nightmare Before Christmas, which to be fair, that's only happened a couple times that I remember. I've only had a couple people that I can remember say that and I know exactly what they mean in the same way that I know what my friend meant when she said, you should apply to, like, be a writer for Cards Against Humanity. Like, I totally, like, I'm not sitting here being like, that's stupid. I totally understand why somebody would say that. But it also makes me really self-conscious. <laughs> it, it also makes me kind of cringe a little. Not because of the, what the, not because of anything they said or did. Just because I'm like, yeah, you know, that's probably what someone thinks about me. Oh, there's a new statue of a heron. It's big, it's giant. Always nice to see a new statue lit up of a bird. Um, I haven't been, see, this is what happens you know, when you don't walk down a certain street for a while, is they put up a giant statue of a heron. Way cooler than these abstract statues they've been putting up. Um, just a giant, it's a big bird. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big bird. It's a giant statue of a bird. Um, but anyway, so like, it's just, it makes me self-conscious because I'm like, yeah, that is what somebody would think about me. That like, I, I should write for Cards Against Humanity or that my artwork looks like Jack Skellington. And speaking of which, the other one that I've heard before is the Scary Stories books. As a kid, every kid seems to remember the Scary Stories books, which if you're not familiar, they're, they're literally called the Scary Stories books. And it's like, they had these like amorphous they were these like like short kind of horror stories for, written for kids and they were definitely darker than anything else that was available at that time at least on a mainstream level for kids and the artwork were these like black i think they were probably done in dark pencil i don't think they were done in pen but they were these dark kind of like creepy faces and these amorphous bodies like multiple faces and heads and uh, they had them in my elementary school library and kids would like show them to each other. Kids would like take other kids and be like, have you seen the scary stories books? And they would like drag another kid over and just show them the covers of the books. It was almost like a rite of passage because, you know, they were kind of like the, the stuff of nightmares. They were like what you think a nightmare should be like. It's not what a nightmare actually is, where it's like, your friend is up in front of you talking and you suddenly realize you can't talk and you trip or that, that's like what a nightmare is for me but uh you know it's it's the, the scary stories books were very much you know like what you would like expect a nightmare to be like like oh, oh it's like this is this is what you expect from a nightmare if you were to like be very creative about it
And, uh, but anyway, I got, there was a girl I met and she told me, she was like, oh, your artwork, it reminds me of the scary stories books. And I'd been told that before. And I find that really inoffensive. Like that's better than telling me Jack Skellington. Not that I'm offended by, by, a, you know, a Tim Burton comparison. It just, it just hurts a little bit, you know, <laughs> but being told scary stories was a little better, even though that wasn't an influence. Like I, I saw those books as a kid. I'm walking on sh broken shells. I'm walking on broken shells. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was I was definitely not influenced in my art at all by the Scary Stories books. Like, there was a window of time between me seeing those books and when I started to draw, like, amorphous, weird stuff. And, and you know, and for me, too, let me just say, while I'm going off about myself here, uh, as usual, but as I'm going off about this... Like, I never really try to make my art look creepy or scary. Like, there was there was a phase around the mid-2010s where I was doing a lot of, like, voyeuristic, sleazy stuff. And I remember at the time thinking, I want this stuff to disturb people, but to disturb to have this disturb people in a way that, like, typical horror imagery doesn't. Like, anybody can draw a skull. You know what I mean? Like, anybody can draw a skull... And, like, make something dark and shadowy and put, like, obvious horror imagery in. But when I see skulls and horror imagery, I just think of pulp. You know, I think of comic books. I think of cartoons. I think of campiness. You know, it's very rare that I see, like, skull art or anything like that and think, like, oh, wow, this is scary. So, you know, for me, it's like I, I went through a phase where I, I was, you know, a lot of my artwork is and was undeniably dark, but it's like I never wanted it to fall into, like, while some of it I wanted to be disturbing or was just disturbing on its own, I never came from a place of, like, I like to make creepy art. I like to make creepy art. You know, I never came from that place with it. And so scary stories, you know, just to circle back to that, you know, with the scary stories, it was like, that was not an influence on me. But when that girl said that, and when, when other people have said that, I, I take that as a compliment because everybody seems to have a favor, uh, a favorable memory of that. And that artwork too, it's very organic. Like the thing is about Jack Skellington, <laughs> here I am, the thing about Jack Skellington, the thing about Jack Skellington and Nightmare Before Christmas and Tim Burton is it doesn't feel organic to me, even though it should. Like, it, it feels kind of... I guess I, it's just been broadcast everywhere so much. It doesn't feel organic to me. Whereas, like, those scary stories drawings are very organic. So, like, somebody saying that, I'm like, okay, that's a compliment. And I don't push that away. Like, I, that doesn't make me cringe at all. I don't want somebody to think that that's what I'm going for. But it doesn't bother me at all. But anyway, why I brought this up is because getting told, like, you should be a writer for Cards Against Humanity, it, it very much gave me a similar feeling to the feeling I got when somebody said Jack Skellington, you know, about my art. Uh, it, just, it just definitely gave me a similar sort of, like, internal cringe feeling, you know, toward myself, you know, not about the person saying it, because that's just the point of reference they have. But the, the whole the, the whole Cards Against Humanity thing, as I was saying, though, it's just it's too direct, it's too literal. There's no contrast to it. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's like it's like a you know when I was a little kid, my mom took me to I guess it was like a fish farm where it was like some sort of uh, enclosed trout pond 
man-made and stocked by man, and it was for kids. Like, a kid could go there and catch a fish, and you were guaranteed to catch a fish. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think this is a weird thing. Like, it was this trout pond, this man-made trout pond, enclosed trout pond in the suburbs, or like, in you know, near the suburbs, where you could just go catch a fish. You could take your son there, and he could just catch a fish no matter what. Yeah, a really nice thing, though. It's a cool thing to have kids do. But Cards Against Humanity is that. It's like, we're going to make it really easy for you, and we're going to make it really safe. Because the thing is, if you were playing apples to apples with your girlfriend's family, and you pair the cards, beautiful Hitler together, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, you don't know what her family's going to say. And in my case, like, they were Jewish. They were, you know... Uh, so it's like you don't know what's going to happen if you bear, if you pair beautiful Hitler together, and so there's there's an element of chance to that. Whereas if you're playing cards against humanity, everybody knows what what to expect. It's very safe. It's very liberal. I think of cards against humanity as like it's like, and this is me just reading all kinds of shit into it, but it's a very like leftist friendly way to be offensive. Where, like, you enter it and you know exactly what to expect. The people who made the game, I don't know who they are. I don't know who created Cards Against Humanity. But it's like, you kind of know where they're coming from. Like, I imagined, like, my brain goes so many, you know, to so many levels with this shit. Where, like, when I looked at the job listing for the Cards Against Humanity writer, and again, I just have to say, like, my friend so sweet of her to think of me it really is I, I i don't want any of this to come across like i'm how dare she how dare she think that i should write for a place that uses you know i don't know how dare she think that i would be a good fit for this company but when i looked at the job posting i seriously did consider it i was like you know this would probably be a really easy job like i know that i could easily come up with all kinds of nonsense for a game like this However, like looking at the job listing, like my mind flashed to the sorts of meetings that go on there. And I was like, because this is an offensive mainstream company, because this is a popular game that's intended to be really offensive, I guess. And I don't even know how offensive it is. I've never played it. I've watched people play it. I've, I've looked through the cards. I don't remember all the details, but it's a game that's intended to be offensive. But because of that, I can imagine, like, the counterweight to that. I can imagine, like, the company culture has to overcompensate in other ways. I'm, I'm, in, I'm assuming a whole lot. But this is also something I'm not unfamiliar with, with people. It's something I'm not unfamiliar with, with culture. And I've experienced it myself in underground music and art culture, where it's like, you'll find this... I mean, let me just use an example, like, noise music, industrial, metal, something you find a lot is, like, you'll find bands in those genres who explore, like, subversive, shocking uh, subject matter. You'll have bands and artists who use shocking subject matter, but then you'll see, like, in interviews, they themselves will be like, well, no, I actually don't support that stuff. Oh, we used, you know, we used internment camp footage to make a statement about, 
you know, what humanity is capable of. And you also see it go even to the extent where there, where people will be like, well, no, we're actually leftists. We just use fascist imagery because uh, we're making a statement, this or that. You know, so you'll see where there's this kind of overcompensation. And I think it's totally okay. It's totally okay to have beliefs that are the converse of the imagery you are using. Because, I mean, that's just, that's art. That's what art does, and it is. But it always kind of bothered me when people try to kind of over-explain when they kind of try to overcompensate for what they're doing. Where it's like, oh no, but don't worry. Don't worry, we're going to like give you this mouthful about, you know, all of our safe, how our belief, our actual, our real beliefs are actually safe. And those are just artists, you know, those are just people who actually aren't, you know, really at the mercy of anybody. And then you, you put that... You know, you combine that with like a, a corporation, you combine that with a company, and you're talking about something entirely different. And you know, you're talking about like, like, like I already know how people try to form like company cultures. I've worked for startup companies, and so I already know about like manufactured company culture. And it's just it's a it's a fact of life, you know. It's a fact of life that a company like especially in this modern age of like social media and the internet that companies want to manufacture an image both both an outfacing image as well as like an image within the office like i had a friend i went to high school with who ended up working for google he ended up working for lady google he was lady google's personal assistant no but he, he worked for google and then he ended up leaving and i asked him about it i was like what was that like because it sounded like he had a really bad experience there. Like, not the worst in the world, but still, just like, it left him with a bad taste in his mouth. And he was kind of a nerdy guy. You know, it seemed like if any if anybody could make a, a job at Google work, I would think this guy could. And he was like, you know, it was really like, what he's like, what bothered me about it is like, in our office, you had like giant pixel art on the walls of like Super Mario and like Legend of Zelda. Like, the wall of our office, it was like a wall-sized pixel art painting of, like, Super Mario from Super Nintendo. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, that kind of stuff all over the office. And he's like, but meanwhile, you're getting dragged into these, like, one-on-one -on -one review meetings where they nitpick you about all kinds of weird shit. You know, I don't remember exactly what he said about that. And, like, they would do this thing, too, where they would hire you to work for them, but you were technically a contract worker who was hired by this third party. Meanwhile, everything you're doing is for Google. Like, you were hired to work for Google. But they're using this third party to hire you, and it's the third party that reviews your work, even though this third party technically isn't part of Google. So it's like, you can see where, like, that's an un there's something underhanded going on. It meant, too, that they could underpay these people. They could basically treat them however they wanted. And then when it came time for review, it's not even Google doing the review, even though you're working for Google. So it just sounded like this cluster. And he was saying, like, what made it especially offensive is the pseudo-company culture. Where it's like, yeah, we have Super Mario on the walls, because you're a nerd. And you grew up playing, oh, did, do you remember Super Mario? You know, don't you feel like you're just a kid again? And you know how they have, like... I think they even had like video games you could play during your break, which it's like, but it's, it was made extra offensive because it's like, 
obviously that there was a kind of a counterweight to that and I've had my own experiences with company cultures where it's like oftentimes when a company tries to make the company culture too much of something there's a counterweight to that that makes it unbearable and so you're better off working at a place where they're just like you know what this is a job we want you to like your job we want you to do a good job but we're not going to make this any more artificial we're not going to like twist your insides any more than we need to because we know at the end of the day this is a job and we're a company and we're looking after our own company interests so it's like when companies try to pretend that's not what they are there's just always something especially offensive about that so anyway i have no idea what the company culture of cards against humanity is like i have no clue i can imagine though i can imagine that like a company who makes offensive card games for liberals to play at parties probably has an unbearable company culture like who knows what you have to signal who knows like what sort of uh, deal with the devil you have to make to work there you know what i mean like so it, it's just that sort of thing and i'm I, of course i'm just i'm hallucinating all of this i have no idea maybe for all i know it's the coolest place in the world to work but i can just imagine like you know just if you, if you work for a it's like if you work for a, a company like Cards Against Humanity, you can't actually have values that that go against the grain. Because it's all just you know it's all yeah, you know, I mean I, hopefully this is making sense. Anyway, my mind went there. I think about these things. I think about the bigger picture of these things where it's like it's not just a job where you're going to be writing pseudo offensive cards for this apples to apples ripoff you know there's probably like this whole company culture there's probably this whole like well we're not actually bad people not that i'm a bad person but it's just like there's probably a lot of posturing and a bunch of nonsense that goes along with the cool stuff about a job like that Why is this truck stopping in front of me is what I want to know. What's going on here, buddy? You hear that? That's what happens when someone just like keeps slowing down in front of you. I'm vigilant. I'm hyper vigilant. I don't play around with this stuff. People in cars are a problem. Excuse me while I pass this thing. Cars stalling while I walk by them isn't my game. But anyway, so you know, I, I just imagine the whole company culture, the whole like, I can just imagine what the counterweight is to a place like that. In the same way that Google like is like, don't you love Super Mario? We're gonna put him on your wall. We're gonna put Super Mario on your office wall. And the way that they turn around and like put you through the torture rack of like a third party review system 
where you never actually get any direct feedback from the people you're working for and they keep your wages down and they don't have to they basically treat you like a temp worker you know it's like i can just imagine what it's like at other places where it's like oh you can be a free spirit who makes edgy jokes but the the counterweight is we're gonna demand that you bring in uh, your your voting record so that we know you voted for Obama bin Biden. <laughs> That's where my mind goes with this stuff. We're going to make sure that we know you support Kamala Harris if you're going to work for Cards Against Humanity. That's what I imagine. I imagine that like you have to balance that out with some absolute nonsense. And the reality is you don't. The reality is you don't have to do anything. But to me personally, I can just imagine like the hell of that. And just to you know close this out with a one of one Cards Against Humanity experience I had that didn't involve playing the game because as I said, I've never played it. I was at a party, and yes, it was a, a very liberal party. And uh, a bunch of people were playing it, and they were like, "Do you want to play?" And I was like, "No." Because like I said, it's not just that I... I don't like to play games at parties, first of all. Like, especially when I still drank. I want to drink and talk. I want to have some freedom. Like, you end up playing games with people at parties, and, like, they somebody takes it really seriously. I have trouble remembering the rules. You're stuck in one place. It's for socially awkward people, you know? Socially awkward people like to play games at parties because it gives them something to focus on. In the same way that they'll focus on, like, the dog or the cat the entire night, which I've done. But I'd rather do that, because at least, like, hanging out with the dog or cat is an interaction, you know. Whereas, like, playing a game, I guess that's an interaction, too. But I don't know. It's just not my idea of having fun at a party. So for me, like, you know, I don't want to play a game at a party anyway, but then you add in the fact that it's Cards Against Humanity, and I'm like, that's too obvious, you know. It's too obvious for me to play Cards Against Humanity at a party. But I watched people play. <laughs> I, was, I was willing to be a voyeur. And so they had all the cards laid out in the middle of the room. You know, it was a big open living room, and they had all the cards laid out. And uh, this guy was there. If I remember right, he had kind of a skullet. Like, he was... Kind of a chubby, like, nerdy-looking dude with a skullet, or at least, like, thinning, long, blonde hair. And I want to say he was wearing a trench coat. And he, uh... He came in, and he was barefoot. He took off his shoes and his socks, which is weird. It was weird that he came in, and he took off both his shoes and his socks. And this was this party had a pretty broad... Like, it, like I said, it was a liberal... A, a young, like, 20-something liberal party... You know, why, why am I doing that? Why am I, like, politicizing a party? Well, because these parties do end up being very political. Even then, even years ago. There's a, there's a heavy, there's, there's strong political overtones to these, like, social get-togethers. And now they're even more that way. Nowadays, it's even more that way, in my experience. But this is, you know, in the last, maybe eight years ago. And this guy came in, though, and so he was, like, on the nerdier end of the spectrum for this party. Like, there were, nerd, there were nerdy people there, but this guy was definitely on the far end. I later found out he was a LARPer. He was, he was like, a medieval, uh, 
he was like a medieval LARPer, you know, he was a, like a, like a Renfair guy, and I like that stuff, so I'm not trashing that, I'm just telling you what kind of guy he was, and he, but he, he walks in and he takes his shoes and his socks off, which is peculiar, at a party, you, you, you take your shoes off before you walk on the carpet, sure, but to take all your, take your socks off, that's disgusting, and he, proceeds to walk through the living room and he walks across all of the cards with his bare feet he walks across all of the cards against humanity with his what appeared to be dirty feet like he didn't look like a guy with the best hygiene and he has dirty feet and he walks across all the cards and that made me even more happy that i wasn't playing and my friend noticed it like i had a friend there and he was not playing himself and like i remember he like recoiled like, he saw what I saw, and nobody said anything. Like, neither of us said anything. We just noticed. And then, uh, after the, he left later, people stopped playing the game. Like, I didn't even pay attention to the game. After I saw that, I saw all I needed. I mean, that was the real card against humanity. Like, that guy beat the game. You beat the game by walking across all the cards with your bare, dirty feet. And so, like, that guy, as far as I'm concerned, he learned how to beat that game. And uh, after he left, though, my friend just announced he was like, like the party was kind of dwindling. And my buddy, uh, Casey, he uh, he said, hey, you know, I have an announcement. And he was like, did anybody else see that? Did anybody else see that? Not only did that guy come in here and take his shoes and socks off, but did anybody else see that he walked across the cards? And then we started to get a backstory on him, which is how we learned that he was a, a Renfair guy. And we learned that his girlfriend, who was there with him, well, I have to say was like, you know, I'm not one to say that like anybody's out of anybody's league, but I would say she was out of his league. Not that she was like the, the best looking person in the world, but definitely out of this guy's league. But our friend proceeded to tell us, the host of the party proceeded to tell us that the girlfriend was a dominatrix and that the guy with the bare feet and the skullet or just thinning hair or whatever it was you know my hair is thinning as you know but uh got nothing against that i'm just i'm giving descriptions here but it turned out this guy was like the the sub as they call it and it wasn't just anything it wasn't we're not we're not even talking about just like gimp stuff we're talking about like they have a cage in their home and the friend, the host, she told us that the first time she ever went to those people's house, it was for a party at their house. And they put that guy, like she got there and that guy was in a cage the whole night. Like there was nothing kinky going on beyond that. Like there was nothing, I don't think there was any like weird kinky stuff happening at the party. He was simply kept in the cage the entire night as like a punishment. It was like he had done something before the party, probably deliberately. And so the girlfriend, who was a dominatrix, kept him in the cage all night at the party. Like, and he, it was just like in the in the kitchen or in the living room. They had a cage where this guy just stayed the entire time. And so it's obviously some sort of—I mean, that's kinky in and of itself. But it's like obviously some like psychological kink between the girlfriend and this guy. But I did the math in my head. You know, like when I heard that, I did the math. Where I thought, you know, like, with this guy, you know, walking across the cards in his bare feet, it's so deliberate. You know, he's so, it was so deliberate, like, that he took his shoes and his socks off and walked across the cards. 
that it made me think like he did that on purpose so that his girlfriend would punish him later. I'm sure that that was a part of it. It just, it was so deliberate. Like it wasn't an accident. Like we've all made accidents. We've all, we've all stepped on something we're not supposed to step on, things like that. But it was like he, he made such a conscious choice to strip down to his bare feet, his dirty bare feet, which is probably a part of some like kink, and to then walk across, you know, just, it, it, I was like, that's so conscious, that's so deliberate that I can't help but feel like it plays into what we learned later about this cage and these punishments. Him getting locked in this cage by the girlfriend who's a dom, as they call him. A dom. You know? I just, I was like, that has to be deliberate. So this is what you deal with with Cards Against Humanity. This is, I think this kind of colored my vision of it, where you have people doing things like that. Which I think, as I said before, like that, that guy beat the game. I mean, if you're gonna, if there's one way to beat that game, you know, I assume the rules are pretty intuitive, but if, if there's one way to beat that game, I mean, that guy did it. Walking across the cards with his bare, dirty feet, only to be punished later. So anyway, long story short, you know, a friend told me you should write for Cards Against Humanity. And I had a whole lot to think about in response. You know, this is why people can't suggest anything to me. Because my mind has all of these references. I have all of these re responses and reactions. I start thinking about the company culture. And how, like, because they're in a, an offensive card game company, they probably overcompensate in all of these ways that I couldn't handle. I start thinking about the guy, the Ren Fair LARPer walking across the cards with his bare feet so that he can get punished. I'm far too traumatized to be a writer for Cards Against Humanity. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free